0: can i get a witness one soon spring crooked wig tips to lips white not the milk kind but the nervous and neglected teeth candied and pinched shirt stained at the armpit black skirt speckled with skin comes past my knees serving shelling chocolates my fingers done leather weeping curled palm inked with the pastor's son his name mapping out my heart line as I dig my sweaty, socked feet into the church floor, watch my mother sweep the baby's crackers off her dress, stick her knuckle in her mouth and pull it back out red and shiny like the pastor's tongue so wide and foaming. Two. He heaves his body into the podium, last bending beneath his hands, the size of his wife's fists slung over her shoulders as he makes all the girls holler, And their husbands sit whipped, wet behind the ears, sweat dripping onto my hands as they kiss for greetings. Turn to a stranger and give grace, and I spread my fingers over the baby's head, turn it to look at me. It has my face, links back with blank eyes, the kind my mother jars, the kind my father wears daily. Heaps in distilled water still drips in the morning down the sides of his neck. Digging into the pew, I taste Savior in the breath of an old man running way down my shoulders as he catches sight of the Holy Ghost in my shiny Sunday shoes. Oh, you've got the Lord in those souls, he says, That's heaven to my shins, I milk bone beneath all this black. Pastor in his purple silk slithers down from the pulpit, he digs his teeth into the word, yelling hearing me. Why can't you hear me? three. In the narthex, while we wait for my mother to replace her lips before service, I hold fast to my, fa- to my father's salmon Sunday shirt. I whisper into his khakis about the African and her lime dress and her lime hat and the blue plumes sprouting from her husband's lapels. She pinches the baby's nose and names me precious, her breast smashed amber, pure thick odor slicking my face dark in her abundance, thickness, From the bathroom, guts poured out, my mother folding an angel's wing down her throat.
1: Hey, everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 227. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's guest is Miracle Thornton. Miracle's winner of the 2023 Rattle Chapbook Prize in her book, Pluck, was published with a winter issue of Rattle. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in Rattle, the Reginald, Silent Auctions, Up North Lit, and elsewhere. She's been recognized by the National Young Arts Foundation and Princeton University, among others. She currently studies literature at Bennington College and that was um, Can I Get a Witness the second poem from, from Plucked and it's it's such a um, the, the theme is so rich in this book um, you know the theme of Plucked coming from the Aesop fable can you tell us a, a little bit about how, how the book came to be like how did you decide to organize the poems in the way that you did uh, was it something that you saw moving ahead of time or was it after the fact that you started to put together the poems and, and saw that you had this theme going through because it's really strongly themed
0: yeah thank you Um, Yeah, for honestly, the majority of these poems were developed over um, the course of my high school career. Um, I attended Interlochen Arts Academy. um, And during my senior capstone project, I was really like putting together these poems. But I then released them to the wind and didn't look at them for several years as I entered college, a fresh new young woman. (laughs) Um, And the Aesop Fable actually came to me in writing the poem um, Jackdaw in the collection. It's on page 24. Um, I was really searching for a conceit to help me drive the poem. I, I really, I look for titles second. Um, and that usually end up and ends up helping me configure um, what the poem means as I'm writing it. Um, and so I didn't really think about these poems or look at these poems until... Um, Recently, uh, I, I took a course with Brandy Choi in which we had to develop a chapbook a for um, an assignment. And I was like, wait a minute. These poems feel closer than I really thought they were. Um, I always feel like I'm writing the same poem over and over again. But I realized in some ways that's just how sequences work. Um, <laughs> so putting all, th- all these poems next to each other um, felt really rewarding and felt really like, um I was closing a chapter for myself, and honestly, the last crunch um before handing it off to you to be edited was the first time that I really realized this book as its own entity, and that these poems really like belong next to each other, you know what I mean. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I can't remember who it was that was a guest that said everybody has about three or four poems they write, and they just write the first one over and over and over again until they get it all out, and then they you know, eventually move on to a second poem, uh, which is an interesting way to look at it. But but it is true that we wrestle with these certain things, you know, subconsciously and, and sometimes consciously, um, and and you know just go after the same material. And I think that's what makes this seem so strong. Is it sort of all these different ways of uh, looking at a similar topic um do you want to read that jackdaw poem
0: yeah absolutely
1: okay
0: jackdaw i plug my ears so i can smell him there is something in his body the way he claims it in the night the black brimmed hat black empty shoulder jacket black undershirt black dreads tipping the black hat over his eyes shiny like a beetle back or maybe it's the black in his skin and the black in his black beard, how his face melts into a shadow too black. In the night, he's fast beating around the kitchen, but in the day, his odor smacks me back on the street, behind the gas station counter, in the clearance aisle, laptop screen blurring pink, my hot wrist. I smell him when I see my babies, tanned with light-calling eyes, burn their scalps into inky, stank riblets. Bragging about my drafted ton and fat ass. I smell a black church pew, racks of charred ribs and black eyed peas, the bitter snap of my grandmother's gum, box perm, oil and liver, buttered crab and old bay, my nana's car. Or I smell power and old white paint slapped down under his fingers. I feel heavy and embarrassed by his unfiltered blackness, how it rings, and his laugh like a broken key, slack jawed and dying to be heard.
1: Yeah, and that is Jackdaw, another beautiful poem from Plucked by Miracle Thornton. Um, so, so tell us the story of the jackdaw from the Aesop fable, and, and when did you encounter that? Do you remember it from childhood, or was it something you came across more recently?
0: Yeah, I actually came across the Jackdaw Fable upon one of my many Wikipedia holes. Um, <laughs> because I'm, always, I'm always like, I, I don't think that all of my thoughts are necessarily original. Like I must have of uh, come up with something from seeing it somewhere. Um, and so I, I'm always looking for different stories that other people have told and whether or not they align with mine. Um, and when I saw the Jackdaw Fable, um, it's essentially about this bird. A Jackdaw is a black bird that's similar to a crow. Um, And it's about this jackdaw who um, finds peacock feathers scattered around and he uh, he places them upon himself um, and then goes prancing around um, being like, look at my shiny feathers. Look, I'm so pretty and bright. Um, And when he encounters the peacocks, the, the, the birds whose true feathers he's wearing, um, they pluck all of them off of him and he's casted it out now like a bald, ugly thing. Um, and when he tries to return to his other birds, they also shun him for being so proud and so vain um, and for touting his vanity. Um, and I really aligned with that story, mainly from the perspective of um, someone who's always felt kind of awkward in their skin and not really sure of how to handle myself in different spaces. I'm I'm simultaneously always wrestling with the idea of being proud and, um, like, open about um, my selfhood and my my sense of beauty and my sense of self, um, while also not feeling as though I'm, like, encroaching upon other people's comfortability or, like, anything like that. There's just a a sense of self-consciousness and um, the way, like, I have configured, ha, I, I've understood my own identity and how I work within a space. Um, that I feel like the Jackdaw fable has been really interesting to think about alongside. Um, not that I feel like I am prancing in Latin and, and, and I've been um, shunned because of it, but it's more so just like this awareness of the self and awareness of, uh, how other people perceive me when I enter a space. It's really self-centered, honestly. Um, But (laughs) sometimes you have to be.
1: (laughs) Well, so much of poetry is because, you know, everybody's so complicated. We're all such, you know, complicated people with so many complicated things. And and I think it's just a great metaphor for that struggle with identity, for, for trying to be something you're not. And then, you know, what that does to you in the long run. I mean, the the moral of that story, I think they they all end up with a moral, right? In the Aesop's fables, I think they say it overtly, but it's you know to um, you know not not go about prancing with other people's feathers or whatever, and to embrace mm-hmm. your own. And I think that's just a, a wonderful um, metaphor to use as a as a central thing, uh, a central organizing theme for the book. Um, and you, you mentioned going, writing these in high school, which, um uh, I think I'm looking at the chat window and nobody can believe that you wrote these poems in high school. <laughs> um, so, so what, um, what was your upbringing like, um, as far as poetry goes? You know, I think Interlochen is a, it's an arts school, right? So even in high school, you knew you wanted to be an artist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an arts boarding school. Um, and I attended that school because I was having a very difficult time in my hometown. Um, no ill words to say about it, but <laughs> I i don't know. I've always felt um, kind of awkward and unsure of what to do with myself um, because I grew up in a very pre- predominantly white uh, town. And so um, the only people that looked like me, I only really encountered in my own home. And when my own home is a really fraught and difficult space to exist in, in and of itself, um, I don't know. It's kind of difficult to understand who I am and how I'm supposed to be because I change so, so quickly and so swiftly, depending on what that space looks like. It also might be attributed to the fact that I'm a Gemini in way too many places on my chart, but <laughs> um, for, for the purposes of this collection, yeah, I've been, um, I don't know. I had a really difficult time understanding myself um, and I think I still do, but that's just also being a person. And I'm definitely thinking more about, um, I don't know, just existing as I am, as who I am. There's a lot of different forces that have um, created this person that's talking right now. Um, And a lot of those are really, like, societally charged and... um, I've been thinking about the the Aesop fable more so um in terms of a of a like a, a shedding of of oneself um in order to now understand who you are um and yeah, I don't know. Hmm. That's a very like roundabout way of talking about it, but a lot of my uh formation as a, 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 a as a poet happened at Interlochen. Um I never really thought of myself uh, as a poet, or what like I was gonna be a poet, I wanted to write songs when I was little. my um my grandpa is a musician, and uh, we used to write songs together sometimes, but then I realized music is hard, um, and I don't really have the patience to learn how to play instruments. So <laughs> I started writing uh, fiction. Um, and cause I got frustrated with the stories that I was reading. I remember like at one point rewriting Harry Potter cause I was like, what's happening here. I don't like the way this happened. I need to change it. Just fiction, fan fiction, you know? Um, but then when I entered In, I was, I was so sure that I hated poetry cause I hated rhyme. And now here I am with poems that are rhyme so much, I can barely say them. Um, and I read, um, I remember reading Sappho, uh, a translation, the translations of Sappho by Ann Carson, and also Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith, and being like, "Wait, wait a minute! Poetry is actually kind of great," <laughs> and it, it felt really good to find a space where I could—I felt like I could like um, talk about the difficult things without necessarily feeling like I have to be—I um, have to be there, or uh, I, I don't know. I like. I really appreciated poetry because of persona and because of the, the things that I could do with language I could be as confusing as I wanted to be and um some would call it abstraction but I could just be I could be there you know mm-hmm. um in a way that uh, fiction didn't necessarily afford me I still love writing fiction I I, I adore it but um Poetry and I have this love-hate relationship in which it's like my my place where I feel free, but also like the place where I throw all of the, the gucky stuff in life in some ways. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to reconfigure my relationship <laughs> in some ways.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's very clear. I mean, the two things that stand out strongly in this book are, are both the, the freedom of, of movement. You kind of like move and you, you don't, you, you trust the reader to follow you um, without having a lot of things connecting and a lot of like laying it out one by one. And I think it's because the imagery is so strong that you're able to do that. Like We're really engrossed in what we see, even if it's like these little flashes of different things and we can't quite put the story together all the time. We're still on board because we, we have that music and we have such rich images to sort of grapple onto. Um, and so I think, uh, I don't know, let's read another poem from the book and we can sort of look, about, look at that. Uh, what do you want to read next? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, let me think. I think it would make sense for me to read. um, Equinox since I was just talking about um, my childhood a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, And I feel like, I feel like Equinox is really interesting poem because it was like the last one that I wrote and I really wanted to stop being so moody (laughs) and sad. Um, And I, I, I did have a lot of, uh, things that I loved about my hometown and a lot of things that I miss about my hometown and so this is really just for my home in a way. Um, Equinox. The cat watching turkey chicks tumble in the marshy grass beside the shed. The deer dipping their heads to feed on the apple cores and potato skins tossed from the kitchen window. Squirrels pelting acorns at my mother from the tall, tall tree in the backyard with a baby, and I found dinosaur bones in a pipe. The plastic house missing a wall, then two, used to float down the driveway to catch the bus after long November rain. The slide to slide into the pool during the hurricane. Timothy in the neighbor's tree trying to spot his orange body among the orange leaves, us calling him calling. Silky traces of inchworms, cotton tails disappearing into buff thorns. Bamboo? There used to be roses in a chocolate dauschen who dug holes next to the magnolia. I cried when the petals scattered plucked by the summer wind.
1: Yeah, in a beautiful way, of course, that last line containing the title... Of the book, I just can't believe uh, you know how expertly this is put together in poems you wrote in high school. Um, and I think you're definitely the youngest guest we've had as a full episode on the Rattlecast. We had someone in high school one time join us for a little bit, but um, um, but you can see you know everybody watching, reading along at home, and, and listening to you read how rich with imagery uh, these poems are, and how detailed and and authentic and, and uh, unusual, and and you know the way that that takes hold of you. How did you learn to write like that? What, what professors did you have or teachers do you have in high school? Uh, What did you read? How did that, how did these poems come to be? Like what stylistically, like you mentioned Sappho later on, but, uh, but what, um, what were you reading and what were you trying to do as a poet?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) this feels very strange. (laughs) Um, I, Worked with a lot of really amazing poets, um, and I'm really grateful for the the time that I spent at and I spent all four years there. Um, especially uh, Brittany Caballero, my poetry teacher there, was amazing um, and always pushed me to um, do the best work that I possibly could. Um, honestly, these poems wouldn't be what they were without. What they are without so much revision. Um, I wrote them during that time, but it's the eyes that I have right now and the eyes that I had a year ago that make them what they are. Um, I couldn't tell you how I write them the way that I write them. <laughs> um, I all of my poems are really my babies, and I don't let them. I don't let them come out of Arial font until I feel like they are fully like. <laughs> They're there. You know what I mean? Everything stays in Ariel until you deserve to be in Times New Roman or. <laughs>
1: oh, I love that. I'd never heard that before, but that's such a great, great way to do it. That's, to have,
0: just, that's yeah. just me being neurotic.
1: <laughs> no, but yeah. really, I mean, you see, you see things differently in the different fonts and it does seem so casual until it gets into one of those more formal fonts that you would uh, send for publication. That's a really cool idea. I like that. Um, yeah. So, so they have such a unique voice too. Um, how did you so it's the revision process that develops that? Like like how often do you write? Do you do you have a whole lot of poems that are in Arial Font still <laughs> that haven't yet come into Times New Roman? Or or do you, you know, work on your ideas over and over again until uh until they get there and, and so it's a small pool of, of gems?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um I definitely have a bunch of just random notes in my notes app um and documents upon documents and such i recently downloaded scrivener um not sponsored but it's great it's been pretty great um to try to like organize organize things into like sequences and such um but yeah i my revision process is pretty extensive um because my poems sort of come out in a flash and like feverish in some ways unless i'm writing them for an assignment like poems are like a once in a blue moon i'm like yes this is the time um it's not a very I I'm 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 young I got to have a practice that I need to develop. <laughs> I'm only motivated by a deadline. Um but yeah, I I think my revision process is really is really where um it's my time to shine. I really think about um language. Um I'm really my and my poems need to sound right before they make sense in in a lot of ways, so Um, A lot of my poems often start out in couplets because that's how I really like to organize my thoughts and I like to organize the soundscape. Um, Things need to land in the right way and like have that hinge. Um, And yeah, I, I, I like going right after I write a poem and like going to find a title directly afterward, whether or not it's like a word that like has been floating around the poem for a considerable amount of time or um, it's a movie that I watched recently that was really influenced me, influencing me. Recently, I wrote a poem about, um, the movie princess Tam Tam with jo- Josephine Baker. I study French also at Bunnington. And so I, I watched that film for one of my courses. Um, and I recently, um, like two years ago was in Paris, uh, was in France. And I was like thinking about all these things and they were crushing together. Um, and I, eventually, the 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 poem arrived, and then I remembered about uh, watching um, Princess Tam Tam, and then that was applied to it. So it's all it's a lot of like associative leaping from one place to the next to really like um, understand where I'm coming from and understanding what my influences are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I want to constantly be aware of what I'm receiving before I. Um, do anything about it right now. Like my my favorite poets that I've encountered recently. Um, I recently bought um, "How to Draw a Circle" by Terrence Hayes. Mm-hmm. Um, after reading his poem, um, oh god, I'm gonna forget it. But it's specifically the one um, about like the the letter O, mm-hmm. um, and just the way that the 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 letter O travels throughout the poem. That logic felt really um, incredible to me. Um, and so yeah, yeah poets that poets that um i feel like have sprawling understandings of uh, of of language and um are really working with like like present themes but themes that that almost it's sort of like sneaky the way that they do it mm-hmm. anything that's like too obvious i'm i'm like oh no <laughs> but when things are, are are i feel like i'm being tricked or i feel like i'm i'm participating in a game i'm really obsessed with that Mm
1: -hmm. so well very interesting and it's a great way to characterize the poems the the sprawling aspect of them Um, do you want to read another one
0: sure yeah absolutely Um, I think I will read I'll read Nocturne Nocturne? actually no not Nocturne I'm sorry (laughs) I'll read uh, Among Peacocks 127 because I think that has the sort of like traveling nature that I was just talking about Among Peacocks. My father squeezes past an old scarf jerked and drawn about his neck. Smell drags throughout the house as they collect loose change from the cushioned cheeks. The baby and I watch from our living room floor as they brush hips and give each other big manly pats on the ass. We heard them last night, gurgling courage. An irritated hand held my father's head underwater and stroked his spine until he calmed. From the sliver beneath the door, their feet wrinkled and softened, my father's knees chimed. I've heard too many stories about the accident, traced scars and felt pins jutting against his suede legs, the bird heading the window, my father's body against asphalt, sheaths of them forcibly molted as a consequence for their delight. My father still quivers like a boy at the sight of glass, bonds at truck tires fanning his cheeks. They met before the fall, before their bodies bore the impact, thinning the breast of a heifer. Drunk and puffing or with a bald mouth, they leave to find something better than love for a boy. The pastoral south, a man bearing his bloodless face to the wind, a corona sweating beside wings, the laughter of other limitless brothers. I pity them. I correct the bunching of the scarf and he kisses the baby's tall forehead. It grabs at the keys jangling from his hips.
1: Yeah, it's another beautiful poem, I mean, a great example of, of that style, which is elliptical. It, it makes me think of um, looking at one topic sort of through a kaleidoscope almost. Like we see little, little bits of the images everywhere and we're sort of leaping from one to the other and that you trust that we'll sort of resolve it into something, uh, but we're kind of on our own to do so. Um, it's just a beautiful poem there. And th- there's words like that where um, you say she's of them forcibly molted as a consequence for their delight. Um, and th- these the words that relate to the theme of plucked come up in these poems, you know, all the time in a way that like is very surprising, almost like it's it's some kind of imposition from the background or something. Um, did you was that the editing process that added those words to make the collection cohesive, or did they all come out at the same time as you were writing and you just you saw that thread?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think definitely um Jack Jack the Poem Jack Doll is really what made me think about the rest of the collection as a whole in terms of the image sets um and like how to put them together. It's kind of why it falls towards the middle of the book is because it's sort of like the, the where the, the each idea converges. Um but then Praise Dance and um, can I get a witness are sort of dual to me they sit in the same place in this like church space um, and so the I feel like the language there is very similar in them um, but they still talk about like my childhood and like being in a church and understanding my own race and identity and all those things um, and quick is the only really outlier and where I didn't really think I really had to like apply um the conceit of the of the jackdaw um fable to the poem um in revision. I was really trying to um when I was going through to try to um compile the, the the collection of poems um I was thinking about like the 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 Aesop fable sort of secondarily um because I knew that um each of the 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 stories I was telling in these poems had something to do with, with him um, had something to do with this figure and this, that it's really been like haunting the poems because in some ways the Jack doll pre- represents for, to me, like, um, or at least like in the poem, like he's, he's, he's where um, my understanding of race is, is compacted into. He's my understanding of like selfhood and, and also like um, conflict. And so, I feel, I feel that figure, like I said, like haunting the rest of the poems Mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, And so it's really just about like identifying his face between the, between the cracks, between the lines in some ways. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think it was intentional. I couldn't. (laughs) uh if you look at my thesaurus.com, uh history it probably follows some sort of chain <laughs> but um yeah yeah mainly it was just about um being really intentional about what poems came after one another um and whether or not you could carry some of the logic from the other into the next and what you could learn and derive from that and really what i what i was learning and what i was deriving from mm-hmm. um these poems existing next to each other.
1: Yeah, well, it's great to hear that description because right now, you probably remember that the deadline for the Chapbook Prize is the 15th of January, so it's coming up exactly one week from right now. So people are putting, a lot <laughs> of people are putting their finishing touches on the manuscripts, and uh, and it's just interesting to hear how much work went into yours. I mean, it's so much thought to detail, you know, which poems settle in the same places and how the arc is going to be throughout the book of um, I mean, it's like a dozen poems, maybe. Um <laughs> And uh, it's just fascinating to see how much you put into it. Um, Another thing that unifies the book, uh, and somebody asked about it already, uh, who—and I should say, if anybody has any questions, uh, please leave them in the chat window, either on Facebook or YouTube. I'll pass them along to Miracle. But Dick Westheimer wanted to know, he says, "'Do all your poems eschew capitalization or just this collection? Either way, why that choice? It seems to work so well for these poems.'" And and it does, and it's one of the things that unifies the the poems together. They all have the same similar feel, even as they're prose poems or different different forms. Um, and that's one of the things that just to the eye immediately makes the poems feel cohesive as part of a collection. Is that something that you always do? And, and why, like Dick asks, why, uh, why that choice?
0: Yeah, um, I think the, the very formal answer is uh, I imagine my poetic voice as something that's very, like, like soft and like musical and so um I don't really like messing around um with uh capitalization or anything like that in my poems um I kind of just like writing them and not having to think about am I doing this right here and all that um grammatically and stuff like that the informal response to that is that I like lowercase I like the way it looks I like the way the the all the letters sort of feel on the same playing field. Um, I don't know. It's just more pleasing to my eyes. It's really just an aesthetic choice.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let's hear the next poem.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I will do
1: Nocturne.
0: Nocturne. Plucking feathers from a bird still twitching, found quiet, no God called in vain, no plead just shiny and dripping as we undress quietly. Dog gives mercy between the eyes and plugs the holes with garlic and salt. We spread the legs and pull everything out, a liver, rat tail comb, pampered lock, crumpled child's footprint and in blue ink, pork. I ask what to do when all the juice is gone from our jugs, my hands sticky and the birds matted down. Daw says to make myself more useful than an open mouth. So I stoke the fire low. I wait for grace to teeth his breast for water. Keep my eyes wide and unfocused as the bird grease splatters on my forehead.
1: And yeah, another great poem, and you see those themes merging again in Nocturne from uh, the book plucked by Miracle Thornton. Um, one of the things I was looking up because you know, since you're so young, there's not a whole lot of like background. You know, there's not a lot of interviews with you or stuff I can pull from. One of the things I saw though is he worked at a bookstore. And uh one of the things you said at the bookstore is that you'd like to judge books by their covers. Can you explain <laughs> explain that? Because I think uh, it's an interesting confession.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh yeah. <laughs> I love I love working at my bookstore, Brilliant Books in Traverse City, Michigan. They're they're so amazing. Um and I do I do honestly judge books by their covers. Um but I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um and it was really fun developing the cover of this book with um chuna who's a student at bennington as well um i sent them a bunch of um really personal photos and they ch- and i we ended up landing on one of me um sitting between my dad's legs uh, at my first my first fourth of july um so i was one year one years old <laughs> one year old um and i just i think it's so beautiful and i'm really really happy with how it turned out um and yeah, I, I it's it's strange because my, my bookstore ended up putting my book on one of their displays and, and, and on their shelves and they put them all next to a bunch of other amazing poets and and writers that I really admire, like Tracy K Smith, like I mentioned earlier. Um and I also happened to be reading um a translation of uh Flowers of Evil by Charles Baudelaire and they had that on the shelf as well. So I was like, you know me. We're <laughs> we're connected in the brain. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I just I I miss being able to organize the shelves and like have my, my the the books that I think are like the prettiest facing forward mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that. Um, and it, it was really amazing just seeing my book. Um, amongst so many other like incredible, incredible voices. So
1: yeah. So so what do you think makes a book cover? When I when somebody says oh I'm gonna have a friend do the art, I get a little nervous to be honest because I have no idea what it's gonna come out like. <laughs> and then this right. just came out so beautifully. I'll hold it up again. I don't have my document camera working, but such a beautiful cover by Chuna. Um, and so so what do you look for? Like like if you are judging a book by a cover though, what do you uh, what do you think makes a good cover? Maybe I can learn from that as I make the next chapbook.
0: Yeah, um, I think about – I wish Chunas could be what their ideas were for the design and all that. But for me, I love color. I love very, like, colorful, bright, like, saturated books. I love things that um, feel very intentional um, and feel like they give me just enough about the the book that I'm going to read without giving the whole thing away. Um, I (laughs) – I think there's a there's a, a really funny convention in especially historical fiction books where there's usually just like a woman standing and looking back and it's like her, her silhouette and she's looking back on the on the city and all that and I just I, I love how certain uh, uh, what they call genres have their their thing that they do and I like tracking um, trends, with based off of what like a book cover looks like. Cause all the covers start to look the same at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that. But yeah, I really just, I love, I, I love when things are feel really unique to the book. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like it's just um, going along with whatever is, is like the, the fat at the time. Um, but also no, no, no shame to, all the books that I, I definitely have that all look the same. Cause I love, I love a complete set. I love an aesthetic. i, I I've actually been collecting um, these specific editions of Toni Morrison's novels that are like the, like they have the big like stylized like calligraphy on the front and like they're shiny and they, they, they feel good in my hands mm-hmm. and all that. Um, <laughs> But that's my that's my rendition of uh, judging a book by its cover. I, I haven't cracked most of them open yet, but it's just having them there, look all looking all good together. It feels really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, very similar to what I, I like. I think what what really helps is having the same thing with the Edward Hopper paintings. You know, it looks like something something's about to change, you know? I think that's Mm -hmm. what the looking back is, like looking back at something, there's a sense of movement there and it just invites story and gets your imagination going. And then of course, colorful, colorful covers too. That's what we always try to do. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. Um, Let's hear another poem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I will read The Affair. He must have understood, when she spoke of feeling like standing water, he knew where it hurt and why the hurt was specifically pale orange, why that meant she was dying. I couldn't stand the idea of them alone together, sharing cups and whispering, white flames licking my mother to sleep, drawing her away with curled feathers, promises of dying gilded and innocent. It seemed he kept my mother just alive enough to passion, just alive enough to pour her love into box wine and dark eggplants. The only way to love or be loved by her was to mask like a hunter, paint your mouth open white, express good until your glands tender hang.
1: Yeah, and that was The Affair. Again, Poems from Pluck Today by Miracle Thornton. And so, so is poetry something you're definitely going to pursue? I mean, when I was in college, I had no idea that I would end up being in poetry. <laughs> and so, um, is, is there, is there a sense of like, you might do other things or is this definitely the key, you know, that you're going to be doing moving forward? you think?
0: Yeah. Um, I have many plans to go into an MFA after, uh, my undergraduate, um, after my undergrad, um, And I'm really excited to be able to do that if I can get into the programs that I am hoping to. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I definitely have a set path that I've um, outlined for myself via many documents and many spreadsheets. Um, But I'm always willing to shift those plans um, and go wherever life takes me in some ways because writing is something that I do for myself. Um, and the fact that it's an oppor- there's opportunities for me to, for me to pursue that as a career, um, is amazing, but I understand that the only way that I'm going to be able to write is if I am able to, if I'm capable, like right here and right here, you know, mm-hmm. um, all my writing is really personal. And I feel like if I, um, if I'm not being honest with myself in my poetry, Um, if I'm not writing fiction that feels entertaining and interesting to me, then I shouldn't be doing it, you know? Um, And so I have um, thought about pursuing um, things that are still within the literary community, but not necessarily doing writing. There's not, there's, I mean, realistically there's, there's, there's no world in which there's, there is maybe a world, but (laughs) realistically, I'm not going to like be able to just like subsist off of my, pretty poems that everyone loves, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's I have to do other things with myself to to feel like a person, you know, and to be able to have things to think about and thus write about because if I'm just thinking about poems am I just sticking my head in in other people's poems, I I don't really feel like real in a way. Um and so as much as I love poetry, I understand that I need to do things. Um, with myself, it's different maybe for other people, but for me, like poetry is definitely the thing that I'm pursuing, like academically and for my career and all that. Um, but it's also a thing that I understand is really malleable and could change at any moment.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, that's a really smart way to think about it, and I'm sure you will get into whatever MFA programs you want. I <laughs> have no doubt about that. Um, you mentioned you know, that authenticity in your own poems. Um, and, and with this sort of elliptical style, that kind of colorful collage that you do, um, it'd be almost easy. And I think that's the problem people get into with that style of poems, where they start to sort of just invent things and not, not have anything underneath you know the thing that makes this book work is that each poem really has something underlying it, like there's a real sort of psychological drive, there's some kind of like something at stake beneath every poem um, and a common thread throughout them all. Do you ever have you know find yourself spinning your wheels and just sort of not really knowing where you're going and then saying well people if people might like it and letting it go or is it is it so personal that you only only manage to to find substance beneath those sort of strange journeys that you go on
0: absolutely yeah i Oftentimes when I have a poem where I feel like I'm lost in, I bring it to workshop and I'm really glad that I'm still a student. I have the opportunity to give it to people who know what to say about them. Um, And then I listen to what people say and I say, that's absolutely not what I'm trying to do. So I shouldn't keep, keep doing this or yes, you get it. Yay. This is what's happening in the poem. Um, and I'm really grateful for all the professors that I've had over the years to really like help me and guide me and um, understanding what I'm trying to achieve in my poems, because oftentimes I don't really know. Um, and it's not until I hear something that's definitely not it that I'm like, okay, I understand where I need to go here. Um, and there's poems that I'm working on um, that I feel like I finally have, I can finally like devote my attention to after finishing this book um, that are so wide that I'm sort of getting lost <laughs> in. Um, and right now that means that I'm turning to form a lot more often. I hate writing in form. I, I don't like being told what to do. And um, it just, it, I feel like my, my voice gets like crunched in a way that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, but I'm challenging myself and I'm trying to write sonnets so that I can um still be able to, like, do weird, fun sound stuff, um, but also arrive to a point. Um, and I'm really interested in, like, the volta and the turn and I'm trying to find um, I'm trying to to to, to understand that um, through sonnets. Um, because really my poems are for learning and for understanding and for arriving to a new idea. Um, and if not arriving to a new idea, like pulverizing one to the point of of uh it transforming you know so um yeah i'm i'm writing sonnets right now kind of but not really <laughs> to try to um learn something new
1: yeah, yeah well challenging yourself and you know keeping pushing forward and trying new things and feeling uncomfortable i think is the key to, to keep your interest going in poetry and keep the poetry fresh and alive i think that's one of the things you know patricia smith is the the pinnacle of that with all the way she's read transformed her books and from the spoken word career. And then, and then, you know, pushing herself through sonnets and through all sorts of different forms uh, that, that we've published over the years. So I think that's a great thing to do. Um, um, so, what's the reaction like to uh, winning a big prize? Is your you know, f- does your family think about uh, the poems uh, in the book? Have they talked to you about it uh, being so personal? And um, and and what's it like too? Does it give you more more confidence in the writing program that you're in right now to know that you've had a bunch of poems published? And um, you know, one of the things I was talking to Bob Hickok just to, oh, last month, and he was talking about how it's difficult for younger people to be in a workshop setting because we sort of agree with too much of the advice. And when you agree with too much advice, you end up sort of doing a hodgepodge of everybody's advice and not having your own voice. Um, clearly like you get past that. Um, and so, so what has it been like having this book out?
0: Yeah. Um, it's been really strange to be honest. Um, I, uh, I've gone through the gauntlet really when it comes to high school poetry prizes and such. So, um, I wasn't expecting to win this, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and I'm really, really grateful to have this chapbook because I, I, I don't know, I submitted it on a whim and I'm still kind of trying to understand what I just did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think whenever I am in a workshop saying or I'm sharing my poems with anyone or I'm receiving anyone else's work, I I don't really like compare myself to another person or like expect another person to compare themselves to me because there's always going to be someone that's better than me. And there's always going to be, I'm always going to be better than someone else if we're being real. Um, there's no need for the competition because we're all going to end up in a different place regardless, you know? Um, and there's always something that I can learn from another person, you know, and there's always something that, um, I need to keep working on. Um, Honestly, like I just, I, I like talking about poems, and I like talking about other people's poems, and they help. It helps me um, figure out what to do in my own sometimes. Um, and yeah, I I think it's this winning this prize has been simultaneously been like terrifying, um, but also really relieving and and wonderful because it feels like I have done the work and I've achieved something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really proud of myself for that, but that doesn't mean that I'm done, you know? So there's a lot of things that I still need to continue to work on and to continue to pursue. Um, and I'm really, there's re- there's a lot of my peers that I'm really excited for and excited for what they, that, what they will achieve. And um, I'm just glad to share space and be able to have people that I can talk about, poems with and have people that can, um, continue to push me forward in my endeavors. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just the great thing about being at college. You have so many people that are interested in art, so many people to talk about different things and so much to learn. It's just a, such a wonderful environment to be in. Um, what are you working on now as far as like other projects go? Do you have other poems? Are they similar in theme or style? Like, do you think this book, a lot of times the the first, you know, the chapbook prize, when it's the first first book somebody's come out with will turn into a bigger book. Uh, That happens pretty regularly. Um, Is that something that you have in mind or are you doing, working on something different? Like you have, you know, you've, you've settled your your psyche with these poems and this topic and you're going to move on to something else or or do you have a bigger collection that you're working on?
0: Yeah. um, I have to write my thesis. So (laughs) I've definitely been thinking in the collection mindset right now. um, I'm working on some poems that are surrounding um right now in my head they're they're called like the tourist poems and they're just uh there's sort of i i think that the 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 poems that are in 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 plucked are that's the closed chapter but i don't think that they're necessarily like like the themes aren't still present i'm just working with them in a different space because i am physically in a different space and mentally in a different space so um the poems that I, i'm in are loosely titled like the tourist poems um are just tracking me, tracking myself, and tracking me as I've moved through different spaces. Um, and there's, it's been a very turbulent couple of years, <laughs> and I've been in very different uh, different places. And um, I'm really just trying to understand what all of those look like. And I've been trying to write about beauty not from the sense or the perspective of, um, like turmoil or like what it, what it brings up uh painfully but like looking at beauty looking at the sublime really things that are just so incomprehensible that they are simultaneously so gorgeous that it hurts but also like um just like you can't even understand you know (laughs) um and i'm trying to understand it's a very messy way of putting it but um i also have been writing fiction and thinking about fiction a lot um because I miss it in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm mo- a lot of these poems are, are leaning into the narrative sort of realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and more often than not, sometimes sometimes my poems become short stories um, and vice versa, depending on whether or not it feels like the, the, the narrative or like the voice necessitates like expansion or uh, minimization. Um, or not minimization, but like, like compact, compaction, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I've been writing, I've been writing a lot of fiction um, and it's been really, really fun. Um, and I've been thinking about books and and such, but I just, I, I really just need to read more and I've been reading to try and supplement <laughs> all of the the empty space up here so yeah
1: mm-hmm. well whatever you're working on whatever ends up you know being the fruit of all that labor um you know a lot of people are gonna be looking forward to reading so uh you know because this is just such a beautiful book um and so thanks so much do you want to close out with one last poem
0: absolutely yeah um i will read um i'll read my favorite poem which is praise dance
1: so before you read it, uh, let us know like why this poem in particular is your favorite.
0: Because it's fun. <laughs> I like the, I like the way it moves. Um, I like that it's really angsty and dirty and a little gross. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I just kind of love this poem. It's, it's the poem that feels like, um, a, a composite of both like my voice from before and my voice now so that's a great
1: way to put it yeah yeah
0: praise dance one i close my legs i'm starting to smell like a woman and the other girls can tell they spread wide and bend forward breathe giggles into the floor clean like new soap talking in clicks about pastor's son i am in love about the way he feels They quip about how he kissed sharp like a punishment in the back room off the narthex. I felt him with my foot, says an usher's daughter, and other girls shiver with her pride. Sister comes to open me up, and my jealousy reeks like cabbage, pungent my yielding body. Two. We balance on the ball, my ankles spurred out and trembling. The girls step on my feet to make my arch collapse. They don't ask me where it hurts and I don't bother to tell them. Take me to the king and we carve lazily for him, our palms drawn upwards so open I can't breathe. This practice, pushing good from the ground to the apex to the pews. Afterwards the girls dance for boys straight out of Bible study. The girls ripple, laughs tart greens, dressed still in paneled white tunics, slick over their curves. One of the boys begins to beat on the altar a rhythm that makes me want to whine into my seat. The girls' hips clock against one another. The pastor's son humors a pew stain, the others hooting and raptured. Blanched, I gnaw. Three. On stage, sister is violent for the Lord. Fruit washed in vinegar, she's bitter white spit down the apron. I don't mistake her passion for devotion. She's giving it to the ushers, shaking wicker hats full of change. Their gloves browned at the tips. The elders with butterscotch bulged cheeks clap fans against shiny badass boy heads. Hallelujah from the chest. Fathers spot babies off knees, and my mother ducks her head into her purse, chewing red vines and sucking her teeth. Seen from a pristine line of girls, I hide my head. In the thicket of hair gifted to the tallest of us I marvel behind the black halo At sister's war of limbs Until she comes to a halt The flock erupts I have to breathe in
1: Yeah, another great poem from Plucked uh, that was uh, Miracle's favorite poem from the book Praise Dance and Miracle Thornton, thanks so much for being a guest today It's just lovely that you shared this book and uh, and you could be with us to read the poems It's just a really beautiful collection
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been really a pleasure. Um, And thank you to all of you who've read the book or will, will read it. Um, It's been really great to have it in other people's hands.
1: Uh, Well, thanks so much. Hope you have a great night and I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to our conversation with Miracle Thornton, Rattlecast number 227. For the full interview, the prompt lines, Poetry Spawn, and more, watch the full episode at youtube.com slash rattlepoetry.